Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. is the Tom Hartman Program. Tom Hartman here with you. Will history judge the Republican senators who vote to normalize Trump's treason? And make no mistake about it, that's what they will be voting for if they vote not to convict him. Will history judge them as traitors themselves? I think the, and then the subtitle is, do they really think a BJ is worth an insurrection? I probably should have given it a, a somewhat different uh, title and subtitle. It should have been, do Josh Hawley and, um, and Ted Cruz plan on following in Trump's footsteps? If they run for president in 2024, if one of them runs for president in 2024 and loses the election, does that mean that they would sanction the same thing? That they would welcome an insurrection? That they would welcome an attempt to take down the government? seeing this play out in real time. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, your thoughts on what's going on? Well, you know what's occurring to me, Tom, just in retrospect, I'm thinking about in terms of whatever happened to the big lie. And the big lie, we heard that all in these swing states, that these irregularities and all this, it all needs to be investigated. Have you heard of a single state legislature that's investigating the 2020 election? It was three months ago, over three months ago, going on four months ago. They knew it was a big lie. And the reason they're not investigating it is because once you open an investigation, you have to start logging facts. And what they'd rather do, what the Republicans in these states, because some of these swing states, most of them have Republican legislatures. They would rather just say, yeah, it was a ripoff and it should be investigated as if someone is stopping them, you know, as if the Democrats are stopping them so that they can perpetuate the idea that it was stolen, and that's what the Republican Party has turned into. Because when you think about it, it there's a test in law called the, the but-for test. But-for the big lie. Can you imagine that any of this would have happened, that these people would have showed up and stormed the Capitol? No. It's The but-for test shows that the big lie propagated by Donald Trump, and this is what the impeachment managers have been talking about, that but-for the big lie that started really before the election, he set it up saying that if I lose, it's rigged, and there now he lost. And he did that really in 2016. It's always his, it's always his fail-safe that if I lose, it was rigged. He said that both times, that if uh, it's rigged unless I win. Okay, so right. this is what you get. And the state legislatures knew it was a lie. The people in, in uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, all of these Republicans, and I don't know if you, you don't remember, Tom, but in the days at Michigan State, just after you were there, actually this, there was a professor there by the name of Kenneth Walter, who taught in the James Madison College. He was there when you were there, and as I was there about seven, eight years later. He said, fascism, don't think it can never happen again. He was an expert on the Holocaust, and he said, this only happened about 20 years before all of you were born. It was happened in, when your parents were young. He said, don't think it's ancient history and it can't happen again. And he used to go over the, the qualities of fascism and how it came to rise, and he, he was right. 
it can happen again. Yeah, absolutely. That's what Donald Trump was trying to bring to us. And with regard to the big lie, this has been the Republican go-to strategy for 30 years now. It's how they have justified increasingly tightening the screws on elections to make it harder and harder and harder, particularly for low-income people to vote. You know, they keep going back to this. And, and to your point, George W. Bush had a, a blue ribbon commission. He had, uh, you know, 100 uh, U.S. prosecutors, federal prosecutors all across the country spending two years looking for voter fraud, couldn't find it, found 31 cases out of a billion votes. Donald Trump brought Chris Kobach in and said, okay, this is it. We're going to prove that there's voter fraud that justifies all these draconian laws to prevent people from voting. They couldn't find any of it. You're absolutely right. The big lie is the basis of this entire thing. Paul, thank you for the call. Nicholas in San Cristobal, Mexico. Hey, Nicholas, what's up? Mr. Harmon, so many things are up. (laughs) From where I sit down here in Mexico watching this whole trial going on. One of my first reactions is of extreme embarrassment for the country. I do understand that it's all necessary, and I'm pleased it's happening, of course. But it is an extreme embarrassment to the country as well that it should ever have become necessary that a man like Trump could have ever been allowed anywhere near the Oval Office, much less as president. And secondly, quickly, there's a terrific article in New York Times by Martha Crenshaw, She's the professor emerita at both Wesleyan and Stanford and has been studying terrorism, both domestic and international, for, gosh, since 1972, I think it is. She has a very disturbing article about how if these senators do not convict, that it will further empower the most deeply rooted of the Trump supporters. She suggests that the more deeply underground, the most virulent of the Trump supporters are driven the more dangerous they're capable of becoming, and that that's when they become the lone wolf kind of terrorists who are not controlled either by the group to which they subscribe, et cetera, et cetera. I found that to be quite alarming, and I think that if we do not see a conviction, and I suspect we're not going to, that would be my great fear that this is going to happen. I, I, by the way, I just bought another copy of Sinclair Lewis's It Can't Happen Here, because I thought it was time to reread it after about, what, 30, 40 years. Yeah, good old Buzz Renzer. said it can happen again. It can easily happen again. We're not, yeah. we're not finished with this. Oh. No, we're not. And, and we were just a whisker away from the United States yeah. flipping into full-blown fascism before the election. I mean, it's just, and had the election gone the other way, we would be there. We would be a fascist state. Yeah, Nicholas, thank you so much for your call. It's good to hear from you. John in Cambria, California. Hey, John, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom, just real quick. What about the Republicans may have a way out without having to to cast a vote? And I was thinking in Article 1, Section 3, the second to the last paragraph of Section 3, where they talk about impeachment, it says that two-thirds of the members present. So if we have six to ten that already are going to vote for him to convict, but if, like, ten of them don't show up, then don't we have two-thirds? Ten or eleven don't show up? Don't we already I've, have... I've heard that argument that made point? before, John. I don't know how the Senate parliamentarian has ruled on that, but I like the logic of it, and that may be why 15 Republicans are not sitting in the House or in the Senate right now, or in the, the, the well, joint chamber. So. It may well be that uh, that would be their strategy to uh, simply not... You know, there would be a quorum, there would be a, um, a simple majority of members uh, with all the Democrats and a few Republicans... But if the uh, Republicans who are who would otherwise vote no are going to absent themselves from the proceedings. But but this isn't the moment of the of the vote. I mean, what boggles my mind is that some of these guys are not even bothering to pay attention. But excellent point. Right. Okay. thank you. So we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. John, thanks a lot. Fran and Bainbridge Island. Hey, Fran, what's on your mind today? Yeah, Tom, thank you. I wanted to comment as I observed these. House managers, with their really eloquent speeches and taped-together clips from Trump, how disciplined they are being on two points. One is they're very, very careful not to blame Republicans as a whole. They're very, very focused on Trump. And the other thing is they are not blaming the people who followed him. They are making the point that they answered his call. 
So I think what they're doing is laying this strategy aware that their real need is to bring Republicans over. And I've just been quite struck by how consistent those two frames are in every single speech. So yeah, and it would be almost a reconciliation strategy. I, you know, I think you're right, Fran, and I think that's a good thing, and I think it's a good strategy. Earlier caller raised a fascinating point that, that you know, possibly if a bunch of no votes don't show up, literally aren't in the yeah. chamber. Well, we'll have to see. We'll have to wait and see. But thank you very much for the call. It's great to hear from you, Fran. <laughs> Lewis in Norristown, Pennsylvania. Hey, Lewis, what's on your mind? At this point, what is there's some way that public pressure can be put on more Republicans to vote to impeach Trump. Sort of like, you know, maybe even financial pressure, kind of how Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz were pressured to step down and, and a lot of their donors stopped, cut them off. Can the same thing be done because the, the stakes are so high? You know, I think that we all need to be putting pressure on, particularly on the Republican senators. And you can call the United States Senate at 202-224-3121 and register your opinion. Beyond that and social media, obviously, did you have something specific in mind, Lewis? I just wonder where if somebody's on top of that or... or The principal pressure on them on a lot of these guys is going to be the, the fact that some of them, all of them eventually are going to face an election and may face a primary challenge. And the question that the Republicans have to be debating right now internally is, has Donald Trump been so wounded by this proceeding up to this point that he has lost much of his political power and we no longer have to be afraid of him or kowtow to him? Or or have people been successful in ignoring this? I mean, yesterday during the hearings, during some of the most awful part of the hearings, Fox News discovered that there was this story about this lawyer, I think he was in Oregon, in fact, who got stuck with a cat mask, you know, a digital cat mask on his face on a Zoom call. This turned into the breaking news on Fox News that they cut away from the hearings for. You know, lawyer looks like cat. So uh, <laughs> yes, this, this is just this is how, how crazy it is. Lewis, I want to get some more calls in before they come back. Thank you for the call. Robert in uh, Baxley, Georgia. Hey, Robert, what's up? Do you remember when Adam Schiff stood on the floor during the first impeachment and told him, if you don't convict him, impeach him now, he's going to do it again. Yep. And he did it again. Yep. And the question I want to ask if I were a, some kind of bank dealer in the bank, and they caught me stealing money, and they fired me, and, and I had to go to jail for it. Okay, when I went before the judge, if the judge set a date for my trial, if I didn't have nobody to go on my bond, I would have to go back to jail until my trial come. Well, they convicted I mean, they, they impeached Trump while he was in office. And Mitch McConnell put off, put it off until after he was out of office. Now the Republicans saying they can't impeach him because he ain't in office no more. He was convicted while he was still in office. He was indicted while he was still in office. You're absolutely right. And the House managers said that they were prepared to to make a presentation before the Senate the day after they they had that impeachment vote. And Mitch McConnell, as you correctly point out, Robert, said, no, we're going to wait until the day after he's no longer in office. And then, of course, they argued we can't hold the trial anymore because he's no longer in office. It is the most bizarre kind of circular logic. Robert, uh, Robert, thank you very much. Dave in Bellingham. Well, I just wanted to reply to the, the fellow that called about putting financial pressure on the senators. Mm -hmm. I've been calling national corporations. Kroger's have called. I've I've patronized them. I've called the pharmaceutical kind. I'm a 68-year-old type 2 diabetic, and I've called the companies that make my meds to put pressure on them. And I just think if enough people call those corporations and say, we're going to stop patronizing you if you continue to support Republican senators. Politicians. Don't put them pressure. Yeah. Yeah. These companies, Judd Legum has been doing some great reporting on this, uh, you know, with his daily newsletter. And he's been on this show before about specific, and calling out, specifically calling out corporations. And what he finds is that they go to forward with these great proclamations. Well, we're no longer going to be sending money to Josh Hawley. And then what you discover is kind of in the back door, they're shoveling money into PACs and super PACs that support Josh Hawley. So, uh, you know, but but they no longer have their name on uh, a specific contribution to a specific senator. 
just like I'm not a fan of boycotts, it's for the same reason. I mean, you can use them to make a political statement, but if you think that they're going to be effective in terms of changing behavior of these corporations, or more importantly, of these Republican senators, it's going to be a real tough one. It's going to be a real tough one. David in New Brunswick, New Jersey. There's got to be a decent amount of Trump supporters listening to this show, but hardly any of them have called in and said they changed their minds about things. In my world, I talk to a lot of Trump supporters, and they're more emblazoned than ever. Yeah. There's 72 million of them out there. I just don't know where this is going to end up. Well, that's the concern. If the Senate does not vote to convict Donald Trump, Trump is going to claim that he's been vindicated, that all these things that were said about him were lies, that the jury disregarded them, and probably the majority of Trump supporters are going to believe that, are going to go with that. It does concern me, David. As to whether or not there are a lot of Trump supporters listening to this program, I do think that people kind of self-sort, and the Trump supporters are listening to right-wing radio right now, and the Biden supporters are listening to this kind of program. But there are some, and we always welcome their calls. Just don't seem to be that numerous right now. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Mike in Chicago. Hey, Mike, your thoughts on this? This was more in regards to what happened yesterday. I forget which Mm -hmm. senator ended up presenting himself as a witness, but I had read that once they become a witness, they can no longer be a juror, which would obviously eliminate or actually kind of decrease the... I don't think the, uh, the rules... The rules are not the same in an impeachment that, that they are in a regular criminal trial, though, Mike. And going by a source by who I trust, which is, I assume you do too, is Seth Abramson. That's who, who said it. Um, yeah. But I was uh, a, a witness should not be a juror, but a, a co-conspirator shouldn't be a juror either. And I think that you could build a fairly strong case that Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz, at the very least, were co-conspirators. If they're going to be called as witnesses, or I, I don't, don't know. think the House impeachment managers are planning to call any witnesses. I think really? that they're using video as their witness testimony. I have not heard about any witnesses being called, so we'll okay. see. Mike, I gotta run, but thank you. Thanks for the call. This is the Tom Hartman program. It's a day making history, but I think the larger history is: Will the GOP stand up to fascism? Alfredo in Mountain View, California. Hey, Alfredo, what's on your mind? I am afraid, very afraid, actually, that we already have a fascist government. I mean, the GOP and the Senate and the Republican Senate, they are likely to vote against impeachment. I hope I'm wrong. But uh, if that happens, this is going to set up a really horrible precedent. We already have a fascist government, in my opinion. Well... Uh, therefore what? Where, where are you trying to go with that, Alfredo? Or are you just... I'm afraid that this guy is going to be, uh, he's going to run again for president. Hopefully not, but get into office. This is going to incite these wacko groups. And mm-hmm. I mean, remember, almost half of the population is for Trump. Uh, it's pretty scary. Very scary stuff. Yeah. It is. And I wouldn't say that we have a fascist government right now, but Donald Trump was certainly trying to give us one. And if he is not totally, exhaustively, irrefutably, undeniably, completely discredited and locked out of political life going forward, and frankly, I think he should be in prison as well. He's got the deaths of five people or more, blood of those lives on his hands, then I think it's just going to get worse, frankly. I share your concern, Alfredo. Eric in Seattle. Hey, Eric, your thoughts? Well, I'm actually looking at the 2022 Senate election possibilities, and I'm Mm -hmm. more concerned about us keeping the majorities, maybe progressives getting more power then, no matter where this impeachment goes, because it's so Mm -hmm. political. And what can we do? What are Democrats going to do to make sure they ensure we have the majorities? Because I think then we can do what we need to do. I'm going to be going off in a day or so on how we actually need to expand the Democrats in the Senate (laughs) by adding uh, D.C. statehood and Puerto Rican statehood. And frankly, I think the Virgin Islands, the U.S. Virgin Islands should be a state. Uh, That's going to be a a, a bigger lift. I guarantee you the Democratic Congressional Senatorial Committee or campaign, whatever it's called, 
is on this. Did you have a specific race that you were concerned about, Eric? And it's the overall balance. I'm just starting to do some research on it, like who are the people up on. I'm glad we don't have to defend any states particularly. I'm looking at it that when Obama got elected, they kind of let up and thought, you know, things were okay. And I'm hoping that doesn't happen with Biden. Well, I I guarantee you it's not. I mean, the danger right now is that there are, I believe, 11 Democratic senators from Republican-controlled states. And if any of those uh, Democratic senators were to get COVID and, and God forbid, die or just become incapacitated, a Republican governor would appoint their replacements. That's not a good thing. But, you know, we got to take this step by step. Eric, thanks for the call. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. All persons are commanded to keep silence on pain of imprisonment while the Senate of the United States is sitting for the trial of the article of impeachment against Donald John Trump, former president of the United States. Joaquin Castro, the Democratic congressman from... uh, My name is Joaquin Castro, and I represent San Antonio in the United States Congress. there you go. There's a saying that a lie can travel halfway around the world before the truth has a chance to put on its shoes. And that was before the internet. The point of that saying is that a lie can do incredible damage and destruction. And that's especially true when that lie is told by the most powerful person on earth, our commander in chief, the president, of the United States. This attack did not come from one speech, and it didn't happen by accident. The evidence shows clearly that this mob was provoked over many months by Donald J. Trump. And if you look at the evidence, his purposeful conduct, you'll see that the attack was foreseeable and preventable. I'll start by discussing President Trump's actions leading up to the election, when he set up his big lie. Beginning in the spring of 2020, President Trump began to fall behind in the polls. And by July, President Trump had reached a new low. He was running 15 points behind his opponent. And he was scared. He began to believe that he could legitimately lose the election. And so he did something entirely unprecedented in the history of our nation. He refused to commit to a peaceful transition of power. Here's what he said. Can you give a direct answer? You've the election? I have to see. Look, you, I have to see. No, I'm not going to just say yes. I'm not going to say no. Do you commit to making sure that there's a peaceful transfer of power? We don't want to get rid of the ballots, and you'll have a very transfer. We'll have a very peaceful. There won't be a transfer, frankly. There'll be a continuation. Senators, the president of the United States said, "Quote: 
There won't be a transition of power. There'll be a continuation. President Trump was given every opportunity to tell his supporters, yes, if I lose, I will peacefully transfer power to the next president. Instead, he told his supporters the only way he could lose the election is if it was stolen. In tweet after tweet, he made sweeping allegations about election fraud that couldn't possibly be true. But that was the point. He didn't care if the claims were true. He wanted to make sure that his supporters were angry, like the election was being ripped away from them. On May 24th, six months before the election, he tweeted, it will be the greatest rigged election in history. How could he possibly know it would be the greatest rigged election in history six months before the election happened? And on June 22nd, more of the same, rigged 2020 election, it will be the scandal of our times. Again, about an election that had not even happened. On July 30th, 2020 will be the most inaccurate and fraudulent election in history. Again, just big words with nothing to prove them. But he wanted to make his supporters believe election victory would be stolen from him and from them. And this was to rile up his base, to make them angry. Now, these were just a few of the many times President Trump tweeted about this. And he did it in speeches and in television, too. This is going to be the greatest election disaster in history. Because the only way we're going to lose this election is if the election is rigged. Remember that. The only way they can take this election away from us is if this is a rigged election. Right. We're going to win right. this election. Right. It's a rigged election. It's the only way we're going to lose. But this will be one of the greatest fraudulent, most fraudulent elections ever. This is clearly a man who refuses to accept the possibility or the reality in our democracy of losing an election. And there are dozens more tweets and speeches of Donald Trump spreading his lie. But you get the point. His supporters got the point as well. They firmly believe that if he lost, it was because the election was rigged. Will you accept the result if Joe Biden wins? No. Under any circumstance? No. Why is that? Because it's lies and deceit and corruption. Do you think that if we get to election night or in the following days, if Biden winds up somehow becoming the winner, do you think it's rigged? Oh, yes. Very much so. Happened. Election night yes. days after. If it shows up that Joe Biden won, yes. in your opinion, would that be the only way that Trump could lose, that it'd be a rigged election? Is that the only way Joe Biden can win? Absolutely. I agree with that. Because there's no way in heck our president's going to lose. But yes, it would be a rigged election. There was some type of cheating went on, what have you. And I, I firmly believe that. All of us in this room have run for election. And it's no fun to lose. I'm a Texas Democrat. We've lost a few elections over the years. But can you imagine telling your supporters that the only way you could possibly lose is if an American election was rigged and stolen from you? And ask yourself whether you've ever seen anyone at any level of government make the same claim about their own election. But that's exactly what President Trump did. He truly made his base believe that the only way he could lose was if the election was rigged. And senators, all of us know and all of us understand how dangerous that is for our country. Because the most combustible thing you can do in a democracy is convince people that an election doesn't count, their voice and their vote don't count, and that it's all been stolen, especially if what you're saying are lies. Let us turn now to the election. As you know, the results were not fully reported 
on election night, which is not unusual in our nation's history. But by November 7th, major news networks, including Fox News, reported that once the remaining votes were counted, Joe Biden would be the likely victor. So President Trump began urging his supporters to stop the count. I would imagine that if we went around this room, there are folks sitting here that started down on election night and ended up coming back up and winning their races. Perhaps that's why some of you this are seated in this Tom room today. Hartman program. But Congressman Joaquin Castro of Texas is presenting the case in. against Donald Trump and before the United States ahead, Your opponent said, that's not fair. Stop the count while I'm still ahead. That's what Donald Trump did. But that's not how America works. Here, every vote counts. You don't just stop counting when one person is ahead. We count every vote. And let's be clear. President Trump knew that you can't just stop counting votes, but he wanted to inflame his base. There was a purpose behind this. To truly make them believe that counting votes would result in a stolen, rigged election. He said at 12.49 a.m. on election night, quote, they're trying to steal the election. We will never let them do it. A little over an hour later, at roughly 2.30 in the morning, before all the votes were even close to being counted, he goes even further and actually declares victory. Take a look. This is a fraud on the American public. This is an embarrassment to our country. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. Frankly, we did win. Rather than calmly saying, let's count the votes. If there's legal issues, we'll go to court and we'll resolve them. Instead, he told his supporters that he actually won the election and the whole thing was a fraud. He said that on November 4th, and he has never recounted that statement since. Despite President Trump's pressure at the time, election officials around the country continued to carry out their duties. And as votes were counted and his loss became more certain, he riled up his base further. Take a look at these tweets. On November 5th, he tweeted, in all capital letters, as if shouting commands, quote, stop the count, stop the fraud. Senators, this is dangerous. I also want you to remember these tweets for another reason. Because that's what it looks like when Donald Trump wants people to stop doing something. And bear in mind, this is not the president saying to his supporters that somebody stole your cup of coffee. This is the commander in chief telling his supporters, your election is being stolen and you must stop the counting of American votes. And it worked. His words became their actions. His commands led to their actions. Take a look at this. The same day as those tweets, the same day as those tweets, around 100 Trump supporters showed up in front of the Maricopa County Election Center in Phoenix, some of them carrying rifles, literally trying to intimidate officials to stop the count, just as President Trump had commanded. Arizona Secretary of State Katie Hobbs said that protesters were, quote, causing delay and disruption and preventing those employees from doing their job. Let's call this what it was. We're facing a global pandemic. Workers were risking their health to ensure the integrity of our elections. And President Trump's supporters were encircling them, trying to prevent, prevent them from doing their own jobs. This was dangerous. It was scary. 
and it was a blatant act of political intimidation. In Philadelphia, that same day, police investigated an alleged plot to attack the city's Pennsylvania Convention Center, where votes were being counted. Police took at least one man into custody who was carrying a weapon. And this happened all over. In Atlanta, in Detroit, and in Milwaukee. His supporters used armed force to try to disrupt lawful counting of votes, votes because they bought into Trump's big lie that the election was stolen from them. President Trump's months of inflaming and inciting his supporters had worked. They believed it was their duty to quite literally fight to stop the count. So they showed up at election centers across the country to do just that. This is a fraud on the American public. This is an embarrassment to our country. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. locations by a lot actually and then our numbers started miraculously getting whittled away in secret And there it is. They had bought into his big lie. President Trump told his supporters over and over again, nearly every day, in dozens of tweets, speeches, and rallies, that their most precious right in our democracy, their voice, their vote, was being stripped away, and they had to fight to stop that. And they believed him. And so they fought. And you may say, well, he didn't know that they'd take up arms. But when he did know, when it was all over the news, President Trump didn't stop. As Mr. Swalwell will show, after Donald Trump lost, he became even more desperate and incited his base even further. He urged them again and again with increasingly forceful language to fight to stop the steal. And even as the certification got closer, and he grew even more desperate, he gave them specific instructions on how, where, and when to fight to stop the steal. He told them to show up on January 6th and march to the U.S. Capitol to stop the certification of the election results. And he told them to come here and fight like hell. You will see clearly that this violent mob that showed up here on January 6th didn't come out of thin air. President Donald John Trump incited this violence. And that's the truth. Mr. President, distinguished senators, my name is Eric Swalwell and I represent California's 15th Congressional District. Manager Castro just told you about Donald Trump's lies and acts before the election. But, to paraphrase Winston Churchill, that wasn't the end of his efforts. That wasn't the beginning of the end. But perhaps, it was the end of the beginning. Here's what I mean. This you saw President Trump program. prime for months. Congressman Eric Swallow of California is now presenting the case the against Trump lost, before the Senate. It only could have been so because it was rigged. But that took time. Just like to build a fire, it doesn't just start with the flames. Donald Trump, for months and months, assembled the tinder, the kindling, threw on logs for fuel to have his supporters believe that the only way their victory would be lost 
was if it was stolen. So that way, President Trump was ready, if he lost the election, to light the match. And on November 7, after all the votes were counted, President Trump did lose by 7 million votes. But for Donald Trump, all was not lost. He had a backup plan. Instead of accepting the results or pursuing legitimate claims, he told his base more lies. He doused the flames with kerosene. And this wasn't just some random guy at the neighborhood bar blowing off steam. This was our commander-in-chief. Day after day, he told his supporters false, outlandish lies that the victory, that the election outcome was taken and it was rigged. And he had absolutely no support for his claims. But that wasn't the point. He wanted to make his base angrier and angrier. And to make them angry, he was willing to say anything. On November 15, he states, I concede nothing. We have a long way to go. Rigged election. Doesn't say why the election is rigged. November 17, in a Twitter statement, dead people voted. That's it. No evidence. Just dead people voted. November 28, Twitter statement. We have found many illegal votes. Stay tuned. This just wasn't true. He never found illegal votes. He didn't even try to pretend that he had evidence for that. And stay tuned? Well, that was all about inciting his base, not about bringing legitimate claims. It was about dramatizing the election to anger his supporters. December 5, you see here, he goes after the governors of Arizona and Georgia, governors from his own party, claiming that they weren't with him. You see, senators, he is casting this in combat terms, that either you are with him, making sure that he won the election, or you're fighting against him. These are just a few of the hundreds of Twitter statements that President Trump sent. And it wasn't just Twitter statements. As you'll see, he was dialing into meetings, holding rallies, appearing on television, continuing to spread the big lie that his election victory was stolen. People that were dead were signing up for ballots. Not only were they coming in and putting in a ballot, but dead people were requesting ballots. And they were dead for years. And they were requesting ballots. Dead people voting all over the place. The alleged Biden margin of victory in several states is entirely accounted for by extraordinarily large midnight vote dumps. You saw them with going up to the sky. Massive midnight vote dumps. Dead people voting all over the place. He said there were votes going up to the sky. This was never about pursuing legitimate claims. He was saying anything he could to trigger and anger his base so that they would fight hell to overturn a legitimate election. You can find an and it worked. This is uh, Eric Swalwell, the congressman from California, presenting the case against Donald Trump. To stop the count, his message to fight like steel, fight like hell, was having real consequences. In Michigan, you'll recall that President Trump was attacking that state and its officials. He continued these attacks even after Michigan certified its votes. Take a look at Michigan. Take a look at what they did with respect to counties. And then you get to Detroit, and it's like more votes than people? Dead people voting all over the place? You know, I won almost every county in Michigan, almost every district. We should have won that state very easily. We have a similar type of governor, I think, but I'll let you know that in about a week. He's literally telling them 
that there were more votes in Detroit than people. About 260,000 people voted in Detroit. There are roughly 500,000 registered voters in Detroit. There are approximately 670,000 people living in the city. So again, not true. But he needed to make these outlandish claims to truly make his supporters believe that their victory was stolen from them. And it was working. A few days after these clips, on December 5, his supporters surrounded the Michigan Secretary of State's home. Secretary of State's house and uh, the steel. Stop 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 the steal. You're a threat to democracy. You're a threat to free and honest elections. Nine o'clock at night, Secretary's family's inside. Protesters have surrounded her home, and they're chanting that she's a felon. And as we saw, when armed protesters showed up to follow President Trump's direction to stop the steal, this was not the first time that President Trump's supporters used threats and intimidation. President Trump cannot say, I didn't know what I was inciting. From what Manager Castro showed and what I just showed, there was plenty of evidence that his words had consequences. And if he wanted to stop it, he could stop it. You saw Mr. Castro read statement after statement from our Commander-in-Chief saying, stop the count. Stop the steal. President Trump was never shy about using his platforms to try and stop something. He could have very easily told his supporters, stop threatening officials, stop going to their homes, stop it with the threats. But each time, he didn't. Instead, in the face of escalating violence, he incited them further. The next phase in the certification of results was the certification on December 14 of the Electoral College votes. The night before, President Trump personally issued 14 Twitter statements with more false claims about the election being stolen and directing his supporters to make sure that, quote, they cannot be certified. We are bringing the cavalry. That was the consistent message. This was not just any old protest. President Trump was inciting something historic. The cavalry was coming. And he was organized. In her post, Ms. Lawrence tagged Kylie Kremer, the organizer of the event, whose post we just saw President Trump retweet. Again, you see, this is all connected. I won't show you all of the Twitter statements, and there are a lot, but here's one more. Eric Swalwell is making the case against Donald Trump before the Senate. President Trump retweeted another of Ms. Kremer's posts, which had all the details of January 6th with the same hashtags. March for President Trump, do not certify, stop the steal. And in response, President Trump, he writes back, I will be there. Historic day. Before Congress, I prosecuted violent crimes in California as an Alameda County Deputy District Attorney. And when you investigate and prosecute violent crimes, you have to distinguish. Was this a heat of passion crime? Or was it something more deliberate, planned, premeditated? The evidence here on this count is overwhelming. President Trump's conduct leading up to January 6th was deliberate, planned, and premeditated. This was not one speech, not one tweet. It was dozens in rapid succession with the specific details. He was acting as part of the host committee. In fact, when he had assembled his inflamed mob in D.C., 
He warned us that he knew what was coming. This was President Trump's statement the night before the attack. I should say this was one of his dozens of statements on Twitter in the hours leading up to the attack. I hope the Democrats, and even more importantly, the weak and ineffective rhino section of the Republican Party are looking at the thousands of people pouring into D.C. They won't stand for a landslide victory to be stolen at Senate Majority Leader, at John Cornyn, at Senator John Thune. Thousands of people pouring into D.C. who won't stand for the landslide election to be stolen. It's all right there. And he tags senators to pressure you to stop this. And he warns all of us that his thousands of supporters, whom you'll see that the FBI had warned were armed and targeting the Capitol, won't stand for us certifying the results of the election. This was never about one speech. He built this mob over many months with repeated messaging until they believed that they had been robbed of their vote and they would do anything to stop the certification. He made, the, he made them believe that their victory was stolen and incited them so he could use them to steal the election for himself. This election was rigged. This is tyranny against the people of the United States, and we are not standing for it anymore. If we don't root out the fraud, the tremendous and horrible fraud that's taken place in our 2020 election, we don't have a country anymore. The left lies, they cheat and they steal. They are ruthless, and they are hell-bent on getting power and control by any means necessary. The Democrats are trying to steal the White House. You cannot let them. Can't let it happen. Never concede. Fight. He told them in speech after speech. These crowds were ready to fight. This is what President Trump was inciting. He foresaw what was coming. And this is what he deliberately led to our doorstep on January 6th. I want to be clear. During this trial, when we talk about the violent mob during the attack, we do not mean every American who showed up at President Trump's rally. Certain Americans came to protest peacefully, as is their right. That is what makes our country so great, to debate freely, openly, and peacefully our differences. Just like all of you are attempting to do in this very room on January 6th, but what President Trump did was different. He didn't tell his supporters to fight or be strong in a casual reference. He repeatedly, over months, told them to fight for a specific purpose. He told them their victory was stolen, the election was rigged, and their patriotic duty was to fight to stop the steal. And he repeated this messaging even after he saw the violence it was inciting. And when they were primed and angry and ready to fight, he escalated and channeled their rage with a call to arms. Show up on January 6th at the exact time the votes of the American people were being counted and certified, and then march to the Capitol and fight like hell. He told this to thousands of people who were armed to the teeth, targeting us and determined to stop the Electoral College count. What our Commander-in-Chief did was wildly different from what anyone here in this room did to raise election concerns. This was a deliberate, premeditated incitement to his base to attack our capital while the counting was going on. And it was foreseeable, especially to President Trump, who warned us he knew what was coming. This is what the evidence has overwhelmingly shown and will show in this trial. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? 
maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Tom Hartman here with you. I've shared my thoughts on this before, over the years, actually, uh, with you. But a month before the end of World War II, in both the Pacific and the uh, European theaters, the people of Japan and the people of Germany were still united behind Tojo and Hitler. They still believed the propaganda. They still believed that they were the victims of China and the West, in the case of Japan, and of Jews, communists, and trade unionists who stabbed Germany in the back after World War I by negotiating a premature surrender. That was Hitler's big lie, just like Trump's big lie is that you know, he won the election and it was stolen from him. Right up until the end of the war, the vast majority of people in both those countries were completely still in the cult. And when the war was over, when the leadership was crushed and convicted, then the people said, whoa, you mean I was lied to all this time? And I'm thinking that if the four, five, six, seven Republican senators who are inclined to convict Donald Trump are right now in the Republican cloakroom or the lunchroom or wherever they're hanging out, having a hot discussion where they're trying to convince their colleagues, you know, if, we can, if 17 of us go along with the Democrats, that's it. Trump's out. And by taking him down, we can deflate the energy in his movement. If they can pull that off, I think that's exactly how it would happen. I think that if 17 Republicans will join with the Democrats and say, yep, you're right. This is an overwhelming case. What he did was a crime against democracy, a crime against the Constitution, and of course, you know, sedition and insurrection are federal crimes as well. We agree that that might be what it takes to wake up the MAGA people all across the country to the fact that for five years now, Donald Trump has been lying through his teeth to that. You know, they all know the headlines, oh, 33,000 lies, yeah, but they don't take it seriously. I think this would be the thing that will make them take it seriously. Tracy in Richmond, Virginia. Hey, Tracy, what's up? I Good. don't disagree with you on much, but I disagree with you when it comes to what would we do if we lost an election? We've already lost elections. Electoral College took our elections away a few times. And, yeah, we might protest, but we're not going to attack the Capitol. We're not going to go up there and and start talking about killing people or killing people. Even in the Black Lives Matter protest. Most of the violence that was occurring wasn't really the Black Lives Matter people. These people have a closed mind. They believe what they want to believe. They'll never change because, I mean, we already beat them in the Civil War and nothing's changed. They're still here. They're going to be here forever. I see any way of changing these people. Yeah. I, I get your point, Tracy. I don't think that the potential for political violence and certainly the use of white privilege to promote that, you know, or to facilitate that, I don't think that's limited to the Republican Party. I just don't think that, uh, why well, no? I mean, this is the first time in the history of the United States that any president, Republican or Democratic, has tried to marshal millions of people to overturn an election by claiming that there was fraud and theft. It's literally never happened before. You know, John Kerry was pretty sure that something really, really bad was going on in Ohio, but he didn't say a word. Yeah. His running mate, John Edwards, came on this program after John Kerry conceded and said he never should have conceded. We should have had an investigation into what happened in Ohio. That's about as close as Democrats ever got. And then, of course, yeah. you know, the Supreme Court handing the election to George W. Bush in 2000 was pretty hinky. But again, Al Gore didn't come out and say, we need to have a rally and, you know, in front of the White House. And we need, you know, because Bill Clinton was still president at the time. We need to have a, a rally in front of the White House. And, and Bill Clinton and I are going to, you know, come out and whip the crowd. I mean, it just didn't happen. Yeah. I think if it did, yeah. 
the potential for political violence is still there. I mean, you know, a million people, you know, a million. Actually, I don't know the exact number, but how many Americans volunteered to go fight Germans and Japanese because the government told them these people are threatening your way of life? You know, how many, look at how many Americans in World War I volunteered to go over and fight against the Germans. Again, you know, that was all happening in Europe. But still, you know, we did it. I think we did that as a country, I, though, not as a divided country. You know what I mean? We, yeah. we Democrats are normally not the type to go immediately to violence because it gets us long enough to even get started. You know, we, Tracy, it, it I hope and pray that you are right. And you may well be right, just because, you know, the Republicans tend to be so authoritarian and Democrats tend to be, you know, more intellectual or whatever. But we'll see. I mean, you know, I, well, God forbid that we ever see, actually. But I hope you're right. Tracy, thank you for the call. Listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.